Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday muddle over the collapsing Hunter Biden plea deal. We won't attempt to really analyze the media coverage of this story as it evolves, but the good news, so to speak, is the cable newsers are all talking about Hunter Biden today for a change. Now, Hunter is claiming he's not guilty of tax evasion, which somehow makes him sound like the O.J. Simpson of tax evaders. He'll now devote his life to finding the real tax evaders. (laughs) Instead, let's talk about Biden and the border and the media's coverage, which has been an ongoing project here at Newsbusters. So we have a new study out about the the amount of border coverage uh, since October just over 254 minutes of border crisis coverage on the evening newscasts of ABC, CBS, and NBC. So you can't say they're totally avoiding it. Then we ask ourselves the question, okay, but what's in that 254 minutes? Here to discuss, Bill D'Agostino, video editor and research analyst. Welcome, Bill. How's it going, Tim? Hey, your headline was... You were very frustrated as you did this. <laughs> Broadcast networks continue to prioritize illegal aliens over America. That's a strong headline. I'd say it's an accurate headline. Um, the The question of of illegal immigration to the networks is only one of how do we get as many of them processed and into the country as possible. That's that's the implicit goal. Uh, or task that is trying to be accomplished in all of their coverage whenever they talk about what the government's doing. I would love to actually interview one of these people who's responsible for the coverage at one of these networks and ask them about their intentions. Right. Because it's like, when you watch this, how are we not supposed to gain the idea that you're advocating for as much illegal immigration as possible at least certainly uh, in this time period where it was, uh, look, this actually goes back to, I did a study in 2006 on this issue under George W. Bush, and George W. Bush was pretty happy about, you know, immigration from the South. But I think that that's the thing that really struck me that I didn't expect to see necessarily, Mm -hmm. and that is all the, just the outright advocacy for illegal immigrants, uh, and anybody who would try to stop them is the opposite of a humanitarian. I mean, it's, I guess, if you look at the coverage of Greg Abbott this week, you're basically presented as a inhumane monster. Well, inhumane was actually bandied about quite, quite a bit in the past few days. Uh, they got some quote from like a CBP person or something. Not even a C- I think it was like a state trooper who used the phrase inhumane. And so, of course, that was on like every evening newscast for several days. Now, the way you said this, uh, less than 15% of the air time of this 254 minutes discussed the issues posed by a massive influx of uninvited illegal aliens. And only 1.9% was spent on the massive amount of illegal substances being smuggled into the country. Eh, fentanyl, whatever. Right. And so when we look at that 15%, I just want to clarify, zero seconds of that are things such as, well, what does this do to 
wage growth nationally? What does this do to the housing market? What is this, you know, that that kind of thing, the kind of bigger picture, thousand thirty thousand mile view, um, long term effects that having a massive group of people, many of whom you can't really identify, uh, just pour in can have on on a country. Uh, all of it was instead the micro uh, of it, like the, you know, overcrowded uh, migrant detention facilities or Eric Adams being like, oh, no, this is like we, we don't have enough for everybody. We're going to have to start sending them to hotels, things like that. Mm-hmm. That was that's what was encapsulated in that 15 percent. So, yeah, there's a problem, but the problem is, is we're not processing, the, processing them quickly enough. It's not really a problem that why are they coming in? Right. It's not like there's, there's not enough room or there's, there's not enough resources or whatever. It's, it's more, or, or if it is that, it's always like, so how do we get more? Um, once again, uh, this is something I encountered in studying immigration oh so many years ago, and yeah. that is they don't want to measure the impact it has on schools, having um, an influx of people who, of students who cannot speak English. And uh, just, yeah, just to jump in really quickly there. Yeah, that actually has really bad impacts on learning outcomes, especially in primary school. If you are one of the only kids in your class that speaks English as a first language, um, that's, that's going to lead to either a, an entirely segmented classroom as far as lessons, not just lessons actually, but also the social dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also going to probably result in a decent amount of stops, slowdowns, uh, kind of ESL moments. Yes. I mean, I, I can now go to personal experience. When my boy Ben was about five years old, we put him in Catholic school because the local elementary school, which my wife toured, and it had welcome in like 14 languages. Right. Um, and it became clear... Not only that there was going to be language issues, but also seating issues, whether they had enough room for the people. Right. And, uh, and, and book issues. Apparently, they, they had a textbook shortage. And that, those are the sorts of things that make a parent a little nervous. Right. Mothers and, in particular. And so, like, the numbers of people that we're seeing coming in under the Biden administration is is in the millions. But if you are to take a small, let's say like 10,000 person town uh, and add 1,000 new illegal aliens to that, many of whom are coming across with kids. Uh, well, how many kids are actually in that local public school? And what percentage do all of these new kids who don't speak English just showing up, what percentage of that do they comprise? It could be something as high as 25, 30%. And that puts massive strain on not just the school district, but on all the individual teachers, on all of the after school programs, on all of the the well, everything, basically just the the amenities, the classes, the whole thing is is kind of flipped on its head. And so there's yes, there's so there's the education system, right, which we went into. There's the health system. There's the welfare and food stamp system. um, And then there's the criminal justice system. And there's impact in all of those. And all of those are things they don't want to discuss. So, yes, as you're underlining here, they will talk about the inhumanity of not letting them in. They will not talk about the inhumanity or the barbarism of crime or drug abuse caused by illegal immigration or illegal immigrants. Because somehow the the typical illegal immigrant of network coverage is the valedictorian made good. 
Either that or it's or it's the mother with tears in her eyes as she holds a, a wailing baby. Um, there was <laughs> there was some and we'll get to the buoys, I think, in a second in yes. Texas. But there was there was a, a piece on that of this this young couple who um, the woman was eight months pregnant. And uh, what is her name? I, I Something Thompson or Thomas uh, at NBC News. Uh, Dan Thompson? No, no. Um, what I, I'm forgetting, but uh, she she features in my piece today. But um, she's she's like waving this woman in front of the camera, like, oh, she's she's eight months pregnant, also, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, she must be let in. Like, is there is there ever a? I, I'm gonna get cynical here, Tim, but is there ever a moment where anybody asks themselves, gosh, why is somebody arriving at the border just before going into labor? Yeah. Is there anything in in the U.S. code that might incentivize that kind of behavior? Why are there so many mothers in their third term of pregnancy who are just showing up, who all of these news networks treat as basically sympathetic props to wheel in front of the camera? But, gee, it's almost like they're incentivized to do this. Yeah, I mean, uh, this has happened. The Democrats in general made this point that one of them... Joaquin Castro is running around saying this, that there was some pregnant woman who miscarried because of the buoys. I mean, they're, they, the, yes, they will absolutely try to find the sympathetic people. Yes. And, and also, I mean, everything Joaquin Castro says is citation needed. Um, yeah. But I, I'd like an explanation for how the buoys made a woman miscarriage, but uh, I, I imagine it's not going to be overly uh, educational or have much information in it so it's it's fine if he doesn't expand on that point you know so they did this interview i'll since we since he came up they did this interview on npr uh the other morning with with joaquin castro and he got the word barbaric in three times to describe abbott yeah he's been doing that on on uh i think it was cbs too and he was on uh and his brother is on as well um, but uh, Joaquin Castro was on, I believe, American Voices with Alicia Menendez on Sunday, said all the same stuff, which, you know, it's a free country. But it starts feeling like advertising because it's like, I'm going to get this word in as many times as possible, right. like a 30-second negative ad. And, of course, the questions that the NPR anchor asked, A. Martinez, the questions they asked were sort of like, uh, border crossings are decreasing. What do you attribute to that? We'll get to that in a second. Oh. What more would you like to hear from President Biden? Um, and this was the toughest question NPR had. Is there any validity to the argument that people shouldn't be in the water and the buoys keep people out of the river and directs them to ports of entry? And Castro basically, he said it bluntly, the desperation of these people to reach the United States is much greater than the hatred Greg Abbott has for these asylum right. seekers. Right, it can it can only ever be hatred, right? That's that's the only way that that anybody could possibly object to an unspecified number of people just kind of pouring in, right? It's so exhausting. It's so exhausting. So, immigration is an issue where we can all have sympathy with people who want a better life in America, but they they're just not going to be fair and balanced in any way here and ask does does them seeking a better life in America impair anybody else in America and their life? And I would add that wanting a better life in America is not the baseline qualification that you must meet in order to receive a better life in America. I mean, you brought this up a second ago, or a little bit ago, but yes, welfare, food stamps, like I, ideally a country's immigration system 
should not be allowing in anybody who's going to immediately get on need to get on the government dole. Right. That's in what way does that benefit the country? Right. Which I, I know that's an archaic way of looking at it. But that is, in theory, what an immigration system is supposed to do is benefit the country by letting in people that you want there and that you benefit from being here. Well, I, it, it's really funny because, I mean, I, th I believe we had this issue here in northern Virginia a few years ago uh, and the Washington Post was all upset because they didn't want social services agencies in northern Virginia to ask for papers right before you apply for the welfare and the food stamps that that would be i guess barbaric and inhumane right uh all right so let's get back into what you found in terms of what the big story was the broadcast networks were intensely interested in title 42 mm -hmm. the COVID era restriction that was lifted in may that topic alone comprised more than half of their border coverage Almost every discussion of Title 42 emphasized how difficult the restriction had made life for would-be illegal immigrants lined up at the border. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the thesis of all Title 42 coverage was effectively, God, it, it's going to be so great when this goes away. Let's, fingers crossed, see if the Supreme Court says it can go away now. And then it, in December, it didn't. And it was, oh my gosh, look at how sad they all are. And that, that was basically, <laughs> that was basically what, what comprised this 48%. And then of that, and then of course, also in May, when it was actually lifted, it was, wow, look at all of them coming in. Look at how happy they are. And then a couple of days later, when of course that surge was done, it was, wow, crossings have really dropped. Right. So let's do that. Sunday. NBC Nightly News anchor Kate Snow on May 14 reported mm -hmm. a reality check on what is happening at the U.S. southern border. While thousands of migrants are still coming across each day, the number has dropped dramatically. You say dramatically is a relative term. Total border crossing decreased by less than 1% that month to a still staggering 206,702 reported land encounters. So yeah, there's this whole notion that they were really invested in that the surge didn't happen. Right, right. And I mean, I was I was just talking about this earlier with somebody, but context is the poison pill for so much of the broadcast network's coverage of things. Right. What is let's put those 200,000 from May in context. Uh, I believe the highest number of crossings in 2020 was 56,000, something like that. And for, for much of 2020, it was under 50K uh, per month. They would say because of the pandemic. Sure. Uh, the lowest rate under Biden was 77,000 right when he took office. It's only been up since then. Yeah. And it occasionally fluctuates month to month, up and down a bit. But it's basically, when, when they say the numbers are way down... What, they, what would be more truthful would be to say numbers, the average number of crossings under Biden this month were instead three times as high as the average crossings under Trump, as opposed to the previous four times as high. And it kind of fluctuates in between three to four times as high. But they think it's a good thing. Well, look, this is a little bit like the way they're discussing inflation right now. Yeah. Inflation is down. No, no. The rate, the rate at which it's increasing is down. down. <laughs> and that's where, yes, you got to watch your context. Um, we all understand that they want to run around saying, hey, guys, it's getting better out there. Vote for Biden. Uh, now, let's make this point. I think this is a really important point. 
um, and you were meticulous about this, throughout all 254 minutes of border coverage, they never once, ABC, CBS, and NBC, never once used the terms illegal immigration, illegal immigrant, or God forbid, illegal alien. They also failed to report on a single crime committed by an illegal alien who had entered the country during this period. And that, to me, reflects this whole mentality, like the National Association of Hispanic Journalists and so on, who said a person can't be illegal, uh, that they can't use these words anymore. Now, back mm. back in 06, they did. But that shows you a real difference well, in the way they're covering it. Now. Back in 06 was also before the AP guidelines were updated to say, do not use these words anymore. And so, I, I mean, that first statistic that you quote there, that I kind of knew that was going to be the case and just sort of made sure that it was. But I, I did not expect a single instance of that because that would have signified a incredible mistake from yeah. whoever used that term because that is strictly against AP guidelines. You know, if that had happened, they would have been like, stop, stop the tape. Right. You're going to have to do another tape. Right. They would have re-recorded. Yeah, they would have re-recorded the <laughs> tape. Um, as far as reporting on illegal alien crime, uh, they never do that. I mean, uh, OK, so. That's sorry. a conservative media thing, Bill. That's a Breitbart staple. The. The rapist who came in from Mexico. Right, as though that means anything, right? As though it's gauche to point that out. As though it's... <laughs> as though It's it's atypical, Bill. Most rapists are white Americans, I think. That's the kind of I'm actually not even sure that's true anymore. Oh, I'm just uh, saying, but, yeah, but yeah, they yeah, operate... No, journalists operate on assumptions. Now, maybe we all, to some extent, operate on assumptions, but that's part of what a journalist is supposed to do is check your own assumptions. Yes. They just don't. I mean, and it's also the thing that nobody will ever consider in any of these broadcasts is that every crime that is committed by somebody who is in this country illegally could theoretically have been prevented by just not letting them be in this country illegally. Right. Every set like theoretically, it should be that should be zero annually. So we had what Trump called the angel moms, and that is, you know, parents who lost their children to yep. illegal alien criminals. The media treated that like some sordid exploitation of people. Well, what are they doing? <laughs> what have right. we been talking about? Right. The sordid exploitation of suffering people. It's like, well, we can do it, but you can't. Because any opposition to this is immediately drenched in a racial angle, and they, they immediately assume that all all opposition to it is based on race, is based on not just race, but racial animus, right? And so it's it's basically synonymous with a racial issue, even though it's not. I don't care. The the freaking wildfires in, I, I think it was like 2019, that were, were found to be a product of some like reckless camper or whatever, were started by an illegal alien, a white guy, a Dane, <laughs> who was not Danish people, who was not supposed to be here. And they still wouldn't cover that. But no, I don't want I don't want Danish people starting wildfires in my country either. Like it's not I don't care if the guy's pasty as the driven snow. If he's not supposed to be here, that's it. You know, and I think that's obvious to everybody. I think most listeners would agree with that. Um, but well, on they, the part they of refuse to acknowledge that. on the part of Nick dad joke fun Caro, I just want to say you're telling me he was not a great Dane. No, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. 
now let's get to the buoys. You have a new thing out because this was getting you going between July 19 and July 26. That's today. Yeah. Uh, ABC, CBS, and NBC spent a combined 34 minutes and 16 seconds on the buoys in Texas, in the Rio Grande, across their flagship morning and evening newscasts. Even if you look just at the evening newscasts, you're still left with 15 minutes and 35 seconds. More than these networks over the last 10 months have spent on migrant child labor, illegal crossings from Canada, and the drug smuggling. So you said the media hate these buoys for the same reason they hate any other barrier along our southern border. Anything that makes it harder for illegal aliens to enter the country. I mean, it's a barrier. They don't like a barrier. They didn't want Trump building more wall. Right. Uh, right. And and I'm I'm so glad that we're past that era of people cooking up the most idiotic excuses for why they oppose the wall other than because it's going to stop people from coming in like it was oh it's a it's it's an archaic solution it's like no we, i mean we still use houses right <laughs> right like aren't they still build walls and some place right to make like, buildings haven't, haven't those been around for a while you know like but no it's just all of these excuses for why it's a bad idea oh and then we had we had all of these democrats and journalists suddenly pretending to care about government spending for once they were like oh well we, we don't have that in the budget and it's like what are you talking the budget is fictitious to you people like what are you talking about yeah this is the well it's always instead of journalists doing stories they're creating or constructing narratives and they get upset when you upset their narratives yes um and that's what independent fact checkers are for they come breaking in and say wait you can't say that you can't upset our narrative so let's do this for just a second we are still covering the the way they cover the biden scandals jeff dickens did something that showed um that two of the networks did two stories each CBS and NBC both managed to do an evening story and then a morning story. Totaling 11 minutes. On the on the whistleblower's testimony yep. last week. Um, ABC just couldn't find it. Now, it was apparently a big deal here in Newsbusters land that they actually mentioned the word whistleblower today. Yeah. I mean, they, they it was a mention. I would not call that a story, but we have that whole problem. I practically spilled my tea when I heard they use that word. It's, um, yeah. Well, and some of them have been rude. I believe the New York Times was saying so-called whistleblowers. Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, no, what they mean is non-approved whistleblowers. We did we did that piece, uh, I think it was like eight months ago at this point, but it was like a, a dictionary of media terms, and a whistleblower can only exist on the left uh, or among like a right-wing organization or a Republican-controlled organization. If you're if you're bringing the dirt on the Republicans, you're a whistleblower. If you are bringing the dirt on Democrats, you are a leaker or a so-called whistleblower. I would say you'd probably been, be called a you know an agent of right-wing misinformation, a narc, a snitch, a patsy. What? A, yeah, you're you're all sorts of things. Actually, we should mention just for a second. Yes, one of these conservative groups um, uncovered the idea that the that the Biden dog has been biting. <laughs> uh, Secret Service agents sent one of them to the hospital. Chris Plant's joke today was, you know this is a Democrat dog because they only bite law enforcement. That's right. Hey, that's a good line, actually. 
That's yes, uh, that, would, who, who said that? Chris Plant. Yes, That's you solid. had a, you you tweeted. Yeah, yeah. Here, I'll I'll pull it up. Actually, yeah. It was uh, imagine being a Secret Service agent. You get bitten by bitten by Biden's dog, and he publicly denies it. Then his son loses a bag of coke in the White House, and he orders you to pretend you're so incompetent that you can't figure out whose it is. Then he gets a new dog, and that one bites you too. <laughs> All right. So that's another question, and that is. There was this moment in the cocaine coverage mm-hmm. that I did a video tweet because Jake Tapper was going to be just enough of a newsman to say to his reporter at the White House. Oh, did he say the thing? He said, do the Bidens really think that this is just going to go away because they said they couldn't find them? Oh, so he didn't do the thing. Okay. He, 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 he did seem to profess uh, amazement that the Bidens were going to try to say it's over. The cocaine thing is over. We've decided it's over. And he, so he said, do, do they really think this story is going to go away? And the White House reporter said, yeah, they certainly hope so. Now, have we seen where the, the White House decided the cocaine story was over? Well, yeah, I think they, that was it. They did. They told the Secret Service to conclude their investigation. And the secret, I mean, well, that's me guessing. But what <laughs> did happen is the Secret Service came forward and they said, yeah, you know, we're really not sure. There's no DNA, visitor logs, other evidence, fingerprints, anything. Um, and, and we're really incompetent. And we can't figure out who did this. Don't worry, though. If it's anthrax next time, we'll definitely catch it. <laughs> and everybody was like, cool. That's awesome. Thanks, guys. Really good. Anyway, glad that's over. Uh, but the... <laughs> The thing that I wish Jake has said, and that I don't think any reporter brought up, you're the one who actually first made me start considering this, I believe it was in this podcast room uh, a couple of months ago, was, well, yeah, if this did turn out to be Hunter, that would be a really big problem for his plea deal mm-hmm. that requires that he be drug-free. Right. Cocaine being a drug, right. That that's a, that's a sticky situation there. Yes, yes. So it is odd that they would just suddenly decide... It's over. Everybody go away. Is it odd, though? Because they know that the media are just compliant enough that they'll be like, well, okay. That's, yes, they, they, have, they have proven that they're just compliant enough because that story has seemed to end. And that's, that is a, you can be cynical and say, of course, but you could also be idealistic and say, why? And, and this is sort of the scenario we're getting with Biden where it's it's uh, it's uncivil to keep pushing for answers and to have right. a theory. Bill D'Agostino says it was Hunter's bag. He doesn't know it was Hunter's baggy. Well, Bill claims without evidence. It's like no, I have evidence. Evidence piece number one: Hunter's a crackhead. <laughs> yeah, they and they they hate like you can't make those assumptions. Oh, but we can assume that Donald Trump grabbed every stewardess. You know, we, we can assume that Greg Abbott is trying to sta- uh, staunch the flow of people into his state because he's a virulent racist. I, mean, I, fi- I, fi- I think Joy Reid suggested he wants them dead. <laughs> Kevin Tober. He did does a- have National Guard. If he wanted them dead, we'd know and there'd be a big problem. Yes. So, I mean, this is one of those uh, areas, I mean, we've discussed this going back to the Biden, the Hunter Biden laptop. Yeah, is that they're just like there's certain subjects you are not allowed to report on or investigate. Correct. We're going to run around and say there's no evidence. And I, I think that what bothers a lot of these reporters, the ones who's to quote you, whose self-respect occasionally bubbles up, <laughs> um, to, the one that the, what bothers those reporters is just how flagrant, clumsy. And stupid, so much of the Biden administration and the Biden family 
are about all of these things that they expect the media not to cover, right? There's sort of supposed to be this unspoken agreement that like, look, if you really cover your tracks, we won't go looking for them. But then they wake up every morning and there's Biden-sized footprints going right across their front yard and they're still expected to be like, wow, look, nothing happened. Yeah, what, what drives me nuts, first of all, Democrats are going around and the media are repeating them again that there's no evidence that Joe Biden was involved with Hunter, which at this point is extremely ludicrous, pants on fire lying. Yeah, that is actually factually inaccurate. It, evidence, evidence is not proof. What they mean is there is no definitive proof that this is exactly what happened. It has not been proven yet. There is a ton of evidence. There is plenty of evidence. There was evidence in the OJ case, you know, like it, that, that <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, I mean, I think that, for example, Joe started by saying, I've never discussed business with Hunter. That was ludicrous. Mm -hmm. And again, the laptop proves that. Here's the picture of Joe next to Hunter and his, and his client. So that proves that. But everything that's been coming out in the last few days, and Curtis Houck had a summary, uh, they're going to try to ignore all of it. So it, it, that's why we're here, is to try to point this out. It's even to a point where it was pointed out to me today, Newsweek, uh, Biden comes out yesterday and says, we ended cancer as we know it. Yeah. And so we tweeted that out and said, fact check, cancer isn't over. You know, cancer deaths are well, not I over. I believe it was, we can cure cancer as we know it. That it, When you listen to the tape, that's not what he says. Oh, is it? Oh, is it not? Okay. Wow. Now, he says, it's we can do it. And then he said, we ended cancer. So... Well, he also said two years ago that he had cancer in an address about <laughs> cancer. So, I mean, you know, Biden and cancer, they, he has a tenuous relationship with the truth as it pertains to cancer. Well, but they, it's just funny to me that they're like, conservatives jabbed by saying he, you know, oh, he misspoke. He supposedly said he had cancer. It's like Republicans can, pounce. Can we listen to the clip? Right. So it, 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 it is kind of amazing the degree to which not just the reporters, but the so-called independent fact checkers are. That they'll defend Biden even when the Media Research Center has the video. Oh, I mean, fact checking is I, I expect you and I were talking about this earlier. There's a lot of people who want to be Woodward and um, Bernstein, and Bernstein, right, who got into journalism for that. They kind of want to be the heroic breakers of the big scoop uh, and, you know, consequences be darned. Right. Um, the people who get into fact checking, there is no like. Woodward or Bernstein in the fact check in the annals of fact checking history, who people whom people aspire to be like. I want to be Daniel Dale when I grow up. Right, like but fact checking more so than even just bog standard liberal hack reporting attracts people who want to control the flow of information and control the acceptable discourse. Right, and so I would I would expect anybody applying for a job at one of these independent fact checkers to be significantly more interested in influencing the partisan discussion than a standard journalist who just really wants to break stories and do journalism. And who knows how many of those there are left. But yeah, I, I see anybody who's working at these fact-checking places, I expect to be much more geared towards putting a thumb on the scales. Right. Yeah, I mean, they, that the artifice of fact-checking obviously is one thing that we could talk about, but I think that 
really, they do all kind of see it as just like, well, look, this is this is another tool with which to implement our agenda and influence politics. You get it from Chuck Todd. I'll wrap with this. You'll remember Chuck Todd gave an interview and he said, well, OK, so the Republicans get fact checked six times as often. Maybe they lie six times as often. Right. And, that, and that's really the assumption that comes through is when you're a liberal, when conservatives say something you disagree with, it is it deserves a fact yeah, check. Maybe shut up, Chuck. Like that's <laughs> what a what a ridiculous thing to say unironically on TV. But well, he said it in an interview. But yeah, I don't think he said it oh, on. Oh, you're video. right. You're right. Yeah, that was. I remember that. I had to go find a uh, still frame for him for that for that interview clip. It's just. Uh, it was on a podcast. It is just a sad thing, um, but that is the assumption, and that is conservatives. They're all what they're responsible for is disinformation and misinformation. I think we would like to argue, come at us. Try to say that what the information we've put out is not accurate. You might dislike our opinions, but it's going to be awfully hard to look at the video and say we didn't capture the video correctly. Well, that's just the thing, Tim. They don't want to argue. They'd rather just shut us up and walk away. That's the problem. They don't. They just don't want us to say it. <laughs> We're just not doing it here at Newsbusters. That's why you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.